Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have, as always, Michael Snydell. Hello. Hello. And we also have a special guest on today to help us review Revenge. It's Carol Grant. Hello. It's me, Carol Grant. It me. <laughs> how, how is you? I'm I'm okay. Uh, I just came back from a nice, lovely Mexican lunch, and uh, I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling ready. We're we're doing this. <laughs> we are. It's been such a long time since I've podcasted. You guys, you have no idea. It's cool. We have incredibly low standards for ourselves, so we try not to hold the guests too high either. I am already home. Yes. As I said, today we will be talking about Revenge. I'm only going to be able to say the title of this uh, movie as though I am a crazy person who is claiming that I will get revenge, apparently. Uh, This is the new film uh, from writer-director Coralie Fargit. We don't know how to pronounce this name. We apologize in advance, repeatedly. Um, And it stars... A bunch of other names that I'm going to have to probably apologize for. There's Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz. There is Kevin Janssens, Vincent Combe, and Guillaume Bouchid. I think I those are French names. I think those are I did. French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I did those pretty well. Um, anyway, before we get into that, the usual junk at the front, uh, we have our Twitter at Film Stage Show. Uh, go to Facebook and look for the Film Stage Show. Give us a comment and rating on iTunes and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And of course, you can email us, podcastfilmstage.com. You can also go to patreon.com slash show and give us money, and we will be able to produce even more astoundingly wonderful, well-researched, and (laughs) flawless content just for your ears. And, um, yeah. uh, You don't want to lie to the people, Brian. They might give us money. (laughs) Look, I am a capitalist, and fraud is one of the easiest and quickest ways to get a lot of money. Um, You gotta sell that pen. You gotta fucking Jordan Belfort it. Exactly. Some people just watch The Wolf of Wall Street for all the cocaine and the cursing. I watched it to get ideas on how to make this podcast. You live The Wolf of Wall Street, really. You're damn right. Um, As a person who has worked not one, but two different call center jobs, I have lived The Wolf of Wall Street life, but like with the production values of like a Corman picture. Anyway, moving on. Uh, We are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. Um, for, I don't even know what I was going to say. Michael, you've thrown me off. Anyway, uh, (laughs) every day, movie introduces a new film, and you have 30 days to watch. That means you have a rotating selection of 30 films that you can check out at any given time. Uh, movie has a crop of really great films that are out right now. We talked about a bunch of them last week. There's a couple more coming out. We got Blue is the Warmest Color, winner of the 2013 Palme d'Or. Uh, Happy Pride also, Month. Yeah, it's just a time for Pride Month. I am 
actually a little bit shocked that my ad copy in no way brings that up. It is simply part of their can takeover, but uh, it also surreptitiously, surreptitiously works for Pride Month. Uh, Gamora, not so much with the Pride Month, but a very <laughs> good film. <laughs> And then you know, in line with Pride Month, there's also Weekend by yeah. Andrew Hay, which is which oh, is pretty that's great. That's a very good movie. Yes. Yeah, which I, I made sure to highlight last week because that is a fantastic movie. And then um, following the first film by Christopher Nolan, which we also talked about, um, which has a uh, partnership that you could say has some uh, context to it that might make it eligible for Pride Month. Who knows? But yeah, all that's available on Mubi, and if you'd like a free 30-day trial to see the wonder that is Mubi, all you gotta do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage and uh, get your hands on 30 days worth of free movies from the coolest curated streaming site on the interwebs. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So that is that. Nothing else to talk about, as far as I know. Uh, Who is ready to talk about Revenge. I am very excited to talk about Revenge. This Absolutely. This is going to be fun. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Revenge is the story of a woman who is victimized by three men while she is on a holiday with her lover. And she decides to simply go to therapy, move on, and take no kind of revenge whatsoever. <laughs> It's a very that, that was the uh, tale. nice, like, subversive, <laughs> relaxed kind of slice of life movie, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the last Boy Scout, not really about a Boy Scout, which I learned as a child, and uh, revenge, not really about revenge. Of course, that is a lie. Um, after being wronged and uh, left for dead, she decides to take revenge. Here is the trailer. Stan Dimitri, my associates. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is the trailer for Revenge. As with uh, most films that don't involve entirely English language, very little dialogue. But luckily, we already told you what it was about. So let's talk about it. Uh, As always, we will begin with a non-spoiler section, moving into our spoiler section. So, Carol, why don't you tell us about your thoughts on Revenge? Okay, so actually, uh, when I first heard of this movie, I was actually kind of skeptical at first, and I don't really know what it was. It's something about, like, I'm kind of skeptical of any rape-revenge movie in general, even if it is from a supposedly female film director. Plus also the fact that the way that Neon was kind of advertising this movie felt a little kind of, eh, I could take or leave that. But um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, hopefully a friend of the show, Dan Schindel, he's a very good guy. He sort of dragged me to go and see it. And I came away very pleasantly surprised by how much I not only enjoyed the movie, but was really, really impressed with Corley Fargiat as a film director. And uh, I am sorry, again, for butchering that name so horribly. But, uh, yeah, um, I just had... um, 
it was just such a very well-crafted version of something that was like so simple and so easy to mess up. I mean, I'm still kind of skeptical about the idea of it being a quote-unquote feminist rape revenge film, as in like, what would that term even mean? It's almost like a kind of uh, contradictory statement when you get right down to it. So I'm almost kind of wary of when I see a lot of like film critics, even like male film critics, talking about, oh, this is a feminist version of a rape-revenge film. And I'm not sure if I would go that far. Honestly, the actual, like, rape-revenge part is the only part that I am kind of wrestling with. But um, just, like, going through that, um, it's just... I kind of more enjoy it for just how its physicality and for its texture and how it is able to sort of take that kind of... It's um, it's honestly not even afraid to be sort of a trashy exploitation film. It's not trying to uh, say anything that much deeper. It's more that, like, the reason why so many people are able to say that it is quote-unquote feminist is that it just kind of gets certain things right about the female experience, what with it being a female director, that something from a male director absolutely couldn't get. Like, a lot of really small stuff that kind of make a difference and that I really like noticed and took to heart when as I was watching it. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Let's turn our gaze to Michael Snell. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of with uh, Carol on this one, especially with uh, wrestling over the tag about what people are saying about feminist rape revenge films. Um, but you know, this feels like damning it with faint praise, but this is, this is a really good action movie. Like, especially from, from like a debut director, like there's just some great set pieces in here. Like, I mean, I think just in terms of, uh, just in terms of staging of these action scenes, like it's one of the best I've seen since, you know, probably John Wick two last year. Like, honestly, Uh, like getting away from like say i spit on your grave or last house on the left it honestly reminded me most of the original mad max from george miller just the very very first one from 1970 it's got that grungy grimy sweaty quality to it that just makes you feel filthy while watching it in a good way for sure (laughs) yeah Yeah, spoilers i need to talk about that (laughs) that like burning desire to like take a shower afterwards (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, I definitely I definitely felt that. And I and you know, I guess I guess this is where it loses it loses me a tiny bit is that, you know, rape revenge films are something that I also have really complex feelings about, but I think there are a few that, you know, if not, you know, justifying it, have you know played on it in interesting ways. Miss 45 is one I I really love. And uh, more recently, I think L, despite being hugely problematic, uh, does some interesting things with the gays. And so what I will say about this is without even getting into spoilers, I can say that like the first 15 minutes of this movie has a very, very different feel than the rest of the movie. Um, Honestly, the first 15 minutes, I was kind of worried that I wouldn't like this movie, almost because it leans a little too hard in sort of representing the other side of the gaze before we switch entirely to the rest of the movie. Right. I, I think it, well, Michael, you, know, you and I had, I won't call it an argument, but we had a big <laughs> difference of opinion because you said it felt straight up pornographic. And I said, it felt like a Michael Bay film. 
I felt it. I, yeah, I felt like it was like stereotypical. What's the difference? <laughs> oh, yeah. That I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, I definitely was talking about the stereotypical artifice that people relate to pornography, but like the very sense that you know, uh, the knowledge of it being a woman shooting it, like did give it a, a very different feel. Um, I actually, my partner brought up the same, the same thing while we were watching it. Um, because she was saying that, you, you know, I, because it, it felt like the control was totally with her and the way that the gaze kind of switches once we meet these different men. What I'll say is about that first 15 minutes is it's so distinctive and I can totally understand why someone would uh, be worried about it. But there was something so distinctive and almost transgressive about that op- that opening 15 minutes that I wish the rest of the film like felt as formally strange and i know like thematically uh thematically this is absolutely like a powerful reversal of rape revenge stories the very fact that everybody is resourceful and knows what to do in a survival situation makes this different than like 90 percent of horror action movies i've ever seen but but there's still something where i wanted it to feel like it was antagonizing me as much as it was in that first 10 minutes, even if it was going to, you know, turn it on me, if that makes any sense. I I totally understand that. I think my problem with the first 15 minutes is that it was, I totally got what it was going for and that it was trying to, it was almost like a parody of a Michael Bay style, like male gaze on this type of scene. It's just, I think it's a kind of bad parody of like a Michael Bay style scene. Yeah, like, it, it it was almost, I won't say insulting. It kind of tips its head a little too hard on one side. Yeah. For me to really buy it, at least. It's parodic hmm. to the point of of almost, like, just like insanity. Because um, <laughs> I watched the first 15 minutes, and I was like, all right, we've got the cool aviators. Why is this woman <laughs> sucking a lollipop? Like... That literally my first thought was like, I see so many attractive women into television shows and movies sucking lollipops, and I haven't even seen a lollipop in like two years. <laughs> and I, I was just like, but then it, it kind oh, of boy. becomes clear that like, like you, uh, I, I don't remember which one of you said it now, um, that this character is kind of like commanding the attention of the camera. She's like in control of the gaze of the male that's with her. And like she she kind of embodies something that the rest of the movie also does. It's that she is intensely self-aware of the power of the gaze and knows like, Mm -hmm. I guess, how to uh, poke and prod at it. Like maybe not 100 percent use it, but just to like to kind of exploit it herself in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're in the middle of the desert with your hot, rich French boyfriend, I mean, why wouldn't you act like that? Like what? Like you're there to have fun and that's a like way to have fun so it makes sure it, it both makes more sense than megan fox working on a motorcycle um but it also <laughs> a lot of things do <laughs> but it also you know it, it struck me as like a kind of like like when when your parents catch you smoking and so they make you smoke the whole pack of cigarettes it um oh. which is a, the same metaphor that i think i used for the opening of spring breakers it's like yes I, as a heterosexual male, enjoy this, but, like, this is too much. This is not what I want. This is, like, 
mixing red wine and whiskey and putting it into a beer bong. It's like it's in a way, like a very small part of me almost respects it in that I can just imagine a Miss Corley Fargiat just uh, going, how do you do this? How, how does this male gaze thing work? Like she just doesn't know what to do with it. And yeah. like the thing is, is that that's so refreshing, honestly, that just like... We, because we are so inundated with male gaze in our films and from our directors that someone who just genuinely is just just doesn't know how to use it the way that a male director doesn't know how to use a female gaze is like not that it's intending to be refreshing, but it just is by accident. Right. It's like if you explain <laughs> a hamburger to someone who's never had one and then they make you something and it turns out stranger, but perhaps well, I'll say just stranger than you expected but it's like in an interesting way are we talking about peanut butter is that what we're talking about here <laughs> are we talking about peanut butter a peanut butter on a burger that's what you were saying something oh, you don't expect would, okay yeah sure for a second not? i thought i literally thought you were talking about my childhood teddy bear and i wasn't sure at once how you knew his name or why you'd think that a stuffed bear would be able to make a burger um, is this what Hereditary is about? I still have no idea. Hereditary is, in fact, about a stuffed bear that learns to make uh, peanut butter hamburgers and becomes famous. Nice. Okay. It's like Ratatouille so, meets Winnie the Pooh. Paddington. Okay, so back to Rebecca. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so I, I was watching that and I was like, I'm kind of digging like how, how f- fucking wrong this is, like how over the top it is. And I kind of love... Just like, well, we played the trailer, but you couldn't see it. When the other guys show up at this place, they literally appear as she's like in a bikini bottom and like a crop top that's pink while she's like eating an apple and listening to music. And they are just like dirty and grimy and literally holding guns. One guy's leering with binoculars across from her. (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's, I just like... It's uh, it's crazy and over the top. And I, as the movie gets going, you sort you sort of realize that it's not like dabbling in realism. Um, I don't know that it understands. It what takes realism place is. in an almost like heightened state where like this desert is like so separated from the rest of the world that it's almost like separate from our perception of reality as well. It's almost like. Yeah. It exists as like a collective cognitive state of just what these movies are to us. It's it's hallucinatory. I mean, from the colors of the glass and all the stuff by the pool. Sure. Like every time it shot the patio area through the windows of the living room, I like became physically ill because of the brightness of the colors and the sky of the desert. And it and then when it kicks into the action, like you both said, like this is a super well done action flick. Yeah. And well, I do find like the i don't usually like the rape revenge thriller because it's like you know what can we do to this woman that makes her want to like kill a bunch of guys it's like well they could rape her and it's like oh okay yeah that works why not but and in this case like yeah that is what happens but i think that the way that it explores the various ways that like everyone is culpable even if like they haven't physically touched her is an interesting device and so all of that could make for a very interesting essay on the the feminism of this film but like as i was watching it like i really wasn't thinking about any of that i was just having like a great time with a bonkers crazy fucking movie yeah 
Yeah, I, I totally understand that. There are just like a, some certain things like like, for example, uh, the rape scene in question comes in and like I'm I, I'm still sort of grappling with sort of the way a rape scene can be responsibly shot. And I mean, this hmm. movie definitely tries its best to do that, but it still makes me, you know, it should make everyone feel uneasy. And that is the point. Like mm-hmm. it, like I would actually prefer something like this, which maximizes discomfort over <laughs> something that tries to shoot a rape scene. Like it's cool, bro. And like, because that's not what you want because it's like what you say, these male directors pick rape, just almost like, like a plot point out of a hat full of pop plot points and just yeah. sort of never choose to sort of explore rape as a thing other than just a plot device to move into action Whereas this is all about gays and all about just different sort of presentations that we sort of allow ourselves around the opposite sex, basically. And uh, the way that the way that I knew that I was in more assured hands than I thought from like the opening segments was like there's a really long, really tense buildup between. when she first finds out that her boyfriend is not in the house at the moment and the rape scene in question where there's just a lot of really tiny micro things that keep building and building. Like she finds out that her boyfriend's not home, that she's alone with these two men that she doesn't even know. They keep talking about the other night of her like, Oh, you dance for us. So, so it's basically almost like a, like, you were asking for it. Like they all think that they are owed this just because she gave them a sexy dance or something. And then like she retreats to her room, they follow her and just all sorts of tiny little things that keep building and building until like it really, it hit very close to home because it is an experience that so many women have to go through in terms of just the discomfort of what it's like to be alone in a room with a man, like not even beyond just like the actual rape part, just the implication of a rape to occur in question and what happens when you are alone in a room with someone that you have no idea about. And he is like making these very subtle, subtle advances. Like this was like, it was almost like the movie flipped a switch where it was super over the top on one hand. And in the next, it was acting in a really subtle and controlled kind of way. It felt like a machine almost like it came out of nowhere yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting because like there there is a a world in which you make a movie about like a guy who has the wrong impression about a girl and then he slinks off and you feel bad for him. And then there's this movie wherein the guy is a monster and you, like when she it's interesting cuz even when I like she just picked up her phone to look at it when this guy had like very clearly like been waiting for her cuz he thought they were going to like talk and chat and hang out and he could finally like have some time with her and she picks up her phone and starts looking at it i was reacting like a girl who who like hears a noise outside and so like walks outside without a flashlight or a kitchen knife i was just like don't do that (laughs) don't you realize that there's a monster out there like why would you look at snapchat right now it's gonna enrage the grizzly bear that's across the table from you and like it's it, it is like that kind of very minuscule minor thing that like in certain company, like well-adjusted company, is fine. And then with someone like this who has like this really fragile masculine ego that he thought he had something 
and now realizes that he didn't that he's gonna he's gonna like bust down the door and and take it from her and then her not her his kind of dopey seeming friend walks in and is just told like get in and get in on this or get out and he like takes a bite of that close up (laughs) super gross close up but that looked like some good candy um (laughs) and and then he walks out and then he pauses when he can hear her screaming and i was like oh don't do that and then he turns around and turns on the 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 television like so that the volume will like drown it out which is exactly what i didn't want him to do because it's just very clear that this guy is like "Eh, well there goes stan doing his (laughs) thing i i know how to deal with this in my own life and so like i think oh uh are you gonna go first Uh, no go ahead girl go ahead Okay, um, so I think maybe the most important thing about all of these different things is that none of this is particularly revolutionary. It's almost like the movie is doing kind of the bare minimum, but mm-hmm. because so many of these movies don't do the bare minimum, yeah, it exactly. feels revolutionary just by proxy. Because it's like, and also because of like, it is very much colored by this current environment, this cultural environment that we're in where like rape has become this hot button topic, uh, the Me Too movement going on, and also uh, just a lot of this talk of incels and fucking 4chaners talking about SJWs. And for as much as these aren't particularly revolutionary or new explorations on this, they wind up feeling necessary almost because of being a product of the current culture that it is depicting itself in because in this day and age where just the bare minimum winds up not being enough that like just these men exist no matter what the fact that it can like put say like a heterosexual male viewer into that gaze and have them feel these things makes it like leagues and leagues different from every single other movie of this ilk that they have ever seen right because especially because um we talked about the way that she's kind of moving and the way that the camera reflects like the gaze of these this this group of men on her. You know, she she's like incapable of taking a step that doesn't like flick her hip just so that like her skirt nearly flashes her ass. And it was kind of weird cuz I my first reaction was like don't do that in front of a bunch of men. And then my second reaction was why the fuck shouldn't she be able to do whatever the fuck she wants? Which is the correct response because again, she's there with her lover. So when like he was there alone, I had no problem with it, but it is, it is this weird thing where just like you, you understand the, like the evil inherent within certain people. And when those people are introduced through a glass, you know, holding guns and looking creepy, it's, it's hard not to feel that way, but it's like, yeah, like there's nothing about what she's doing that like deserves punishment or anything like that in the old puritanical kind of slasher film way. It's just it's just like this this one guy's an asshole. Um and his I just wanted is to... another asshole and then the lover comes back and he's an asshole too. <laughs> Yeah. To speak to that escalation, I just want to mention one more thing. Carol, you started to get into this, but just the conversation that uh, Jen and this man who rapes her, they have before that, and just how he's like, just the way it's um, 
so carefully about, you know, what what is it about me that you don't like? Like, like it's something that, you know, obviously has this sinister feeling, but it's it's enough to be like mundane. And uh, Carol, going back to what you were saying about like most films don't offer um or, or you know don't show the the victim's gaze and try to like take trauma seriously it is like this film takes care to actually you know make it very convincing that something that small can lead to something as horrific as it is especially because like she she picks like the most mundane unchangeable thing to give him for an answer Sure, his height, like, right? Yeah, like you know, she's she's not she's not saying like I don't know. You just look squirrely and weird, and I don't like you. You know, my my married boyfriend. I mean, I like tall a, guys too. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I I am a straight male, as I've said. But like between the three of them, I think we're all gonna choose the same guy uh, for sure. Right? Like Richard, yeah, fucking Jamie Lannister. Right yeah, here. I, I Aaron kept, Eckhart. I kept thinking Scott Speed and Aaron Eckhart. Jamie Lannister. And I just was like, yeah, the three of them fell into a vat of chemicals. <laughs> and then this blonde haired god popped out. And then um and then towards the end I threw some Patrick Bateman on top of that, but we can get into that. And um yeah, I mean like it but she she she's still, even at that point when she has every right to just scream at this guy to get the fuck out of her room, still trying to like ameliorate the situation and play it off. And I think it's 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 very interesting how well the movie sets up all this stuff. Yeah. And then at a certain point it's just like, all right, well, we've done that. Now let's get to some balls to the wall action. Should so, we go so like into... did uh, are, all right, so are we, we're not going into spoilers, right? Not, not yet. Right, not That's right. That's what now. I was going to ask, yeah. Okay then, because um something that like I feel like this movie does that's probably the most important part of it as like being this sort of different take on it is that um, it's very easy to take like this kind of story, a rape revenge story and make it so that the men are these like over the top cartoon monsters that mm-hmm. like you would see, they're almost like doing the Tex Avery wolf eyes at all of the women all the time. And um, it kind of reminds me like it, which by the way, something that is, in no way sort of related to this, except for this quote, um, the video game Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, which is about killing <laughs> fucking Nazis nonstop. Michael and I had an entire, that, an entire podcast about Yeah, that. Carol, you're with good comp- company on this one. <laughs> yes, yes. There is a line in this that, in that game that has always stuck with me where this woman is talking about all of the horrors the Nazis have used and, and BJ Blazkowicz re- replies fucking monsters to which she replies not monsters men like they're just dudes like elevating them to the status of monsters doesn't do them justice when you think of them as just dudes then you sort of see like not just sort of the banality of evil but also just Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter if they're monsters because evil can come from anywhere and what this movie does that's important is that it knows how to humanize these rapist men without having us ask for their sympathy. Like it doesn't try to pull any both sides of but it does do the important task of making them seem like very real men in this situation. And that's what makes them even more terrifying because yeah, they absolutely. aren't just the Tex Avery wolf monsters that we have seen in these movies countless times. They could be your best friend. They could be like that guy you knew at work. 
And that sort of gives it that extra layer of it being like, holy shit. Like it makes you sort of think just a little bit more about it because when you think rapist, you think, oh, the Harvey Weinstein type, just a full on monster. And what more people need to realize is, hell, it could be your fucking uncle for all we know. I mean, that is one of the more and one of the more interesting things about this movie is, you know, where it's going. So it's hard to humanize them up front um, because you can kind of feel the the plot machinations dragging them towards what they're doing. And I think that they do a good job of like making them seem fairly harmless at first, but it's it's the it's the rare movie. They look very doughy. I don't know what other <laughs> word to describe. They're like I said, like a little squirrely, like pretty doughy. Like they're not they're not like it's the like guys. it kind of reminds me of like how you'd look at like a picture of say Elliot Roger and go, look at this nerd. But no, that nerd fucking killed people because would, he wanted sex. Right, and I would say that Elliot Roger had a certain like rich boy prettiness to him. These two guys are like, yeah, they're like office guys. Like I, you know, there's nothing remarkable about them except there's one a of them. Euro trash quality. Yeah. I think that's probably derogatory, but I don't know how else to describe one of them that. Is unremarkable to the point that I kept thinking to myself, he looks like that other actor you get when you want an unremarkable looking guy. He and looks I, like one of the extras in the wall on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Yeah, I just I could I could not for the life of me even remember which American or British actor because I don't know his nationality. I thought that this guy was like, and I was racking my brain for it. But so this movie attempts to do it like afterwards, like after the the crime has been committed, and I was a little surprised by that, especially how effective it was at like draining at least one of these guys of like his supernatural seeming menace. Like he really comes off as like an insecure shitty ineffectual yeah. you know fragile egoed uh, piece of like shit. a man baby just yeah. straight up i think Absolutely. one other surprising a part of like this is just continuing what uh what you're saying brian a little bit of a sidestep but like we spend a lot of time with those characters in a way i wasn't exactly expecting like this is kind of longer than you expect and not just that for... but they're the only characters in the movie <laughs> yeah they're, it's only those four actors, the entire movie, and literally no one else. It's like There's it feels almost claustrophobic pilot. at times. People on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> what was that shop? I want to talk about the TV nothing? later, though. We'll get to that for sure. Yeah. The like Kardashian cousin. Um, before we get into spoilers, a couple other random things. I want to say the cinematography and the like the general direction of this movie, I think we've we've talked about is just great. But I want to throw another another shout out to it. And also the friggin' music in this. I loved it. It gets your blood pumping, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> it's really I like to the point where like if I if I just heard it playing somewhere, I'd be like, Oh, that's good. I could listen to that. I don't know that I will be able to just listen to it out in the world, uh, knowing the context of it, and I don't want to risk like flashbacks to this movie in a work environment, but you know, it's pretty awesome. And then um, the visual effects. Very nice. <laughs> I can, like visual I, effects as in like the, the practical, practical gore? The practical gore. I, I was about to say, I could see like a great. Fangoria yeah, totally. cover story about this. Does anyone, can, can I, 
Can I ask something as someone who's desensitized by a lot of violent uh, violence? Would you guys call this extreme horror or would you hesitate to recommend this to a lot of people? Because I thought this was violent, but <laughs> not as violent as other things, which makes me feel a little bit like a monster saying. I usually, <laughs> I usually don't like to watch people suffer on film, even bad people. Um, and I didn't have a single ounce of trouble watching this movie. And we can get into it more in spoilers, but I think that it has to do with like, how over the top it is. Yeah, like, I didn't have too much of an issue save for one one brief <laughs> instance that we'll probably get to in spoiler territory later on. But um it's not like it did remind me a lot of like extreme French new wave sort of like martyrs or inside. Obviously not to that same caliber, of course. Mm-hmm. But sure. it it had sort of similarities to that kind of style of filmmaking. Except uh whereas like I wouldn't say that it was like the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. I will say that I have not seen that much blood, like the quantity of the blood in like a long time in a single movie. It was pretty spectacular watching just that much blood, just people were literally <laughs> writhing in, I, just covered in it. I went to IMDb. Oh, I'm on IMDb now, I should say, just to like keep all the actors and stuff in, in the forefront of my mind. And I clicked on the user reviews which I never do, oh, but I, no, did it, I did it in this case just because the first one I saw was like, blood trails were ridiculous, more blood than an elephant. And I was like, well, this person, <laughs> I clicked on it and like 10 reviews that I read brought up, brought up like, this is so unrealistic. There's so much blood. There's so much. <laughs> and, and I was watching it and I was like, yeah, I mean, this is mostly blood budget, right? Like, they, <laughs> Yep. They could have shot this with, like, I don't know, Scarlett Johansson and, you know, Nicola Coster Waldo. But, like, they had to save that $17 million for all the blood <laughs> they needed. Which they had just like, a, I'm just imagining just literally an entire truck of it outside of the set, just like with a fucking pump, like a fire hose or something. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and I loved it. I mean, I'm the type of guy, sure. I love the movie Ravenous because. It still has, to my mind, one of the best climaxes of all time, which is just two guys just beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and, you know, I guess spoilers for Ravenous. Um, but yeah, like this movie, I was watching it. And I'm like, I dig this. I like even beyond, like I said, all of the considerations about how yeah. it's a female director with the, you know, playing with the male gaze and turning it back on itself and whatever it's saying about rebirth and violence and everything. Like, no, it's just, it's just. It's so fun to watch someone get punched in the nose and make it seem like a fucking water balloon filled with blood just exploded on his face. Like, I just, I, d- I dug it. I want, I don't want people to think that like watching this is going to be like going to, you know, a irreversible theory class or oh, something. God, yeah, no. I mean. It, this I mean, is, that's the thing. It's weird to say, man, this rape revenge film is so fun. Hot right. damn. Had such a good time. It which... is super weird to say that. And I think that like part like I, I didn't want to watch this at first because I have. It's just distasteful. Like, I don't need to see I Spit on Your Grave or the, the remake. They made a remake of that, didn't they? They did. They did. Very ill advised. You know, Last House on the Left, you know, Wes Craven. It's his first film, blah, blah, blah. It's great. But like, there's something about the concept of that kind of film that I usually don't like. But watching sure. this, I felt like 
I felt like I did during the first part of um, The Bad Batch before I realized how mm-hmm. terrible that movie was going to be. <laughs> and I dug it. I feel like this movie, as far as like a girl suffering in the desert, is a lot, is like, <laughs> this is the superior girl suffering in the desert movie. I feel like, like, because there is a lot of genuine anger sort of built into the movie, but it's mm-hmm. sort of like the cathartic kind of anger that I can see. Like, yeah, like I can see that kind of catharsis being satisfying and just a fuck yeah kind of blood boiling kind of fashion that it can be fun and enjoyable, even if it is coming from this anger that comes from a very real palpable thing that everyone struggles over yeah yeah i must think like fury road might be uh, this is obviously more violent than fury road but that might be a potential comparison in terms of the the catharsis both that you were talking about yeah i can see that for sure and i i think for me also one one of the facts of the matter is that like only one of these guys raped her but the other two are like just as monstrous in their yeah. complicity in that rape either through inaction or through like offering to send her to Canada as a mea culpa <sighs> which you know just seems like a terrible terrible way to say you're sorry um but <laughs> there like, are no mea culpas in this situation let's be honest the only There's... mea culpa is just fucking kicking your friends out and calling <laughs> the cops exactly right. Yeah, like if you know, it, f- I would hope for a reasonable human being, this movie would end like twenty minutes in with the friend in handcuffs <laughs> and the lover being like, "I fucking never should have trusted that guy. I'm so sorry." Um, but instead, it ends in revenge. Um, but what I was gonna say is now I can't remember what I was gonna say, so I don't think it matters. Nice. <laughs> um, oh, what I w- I remembered. So yeah, it, it's not like a movie where it's oh, these these three guys, like, violated my body and so I will have my revenge. It is, you know, one of these guys raped me, the other let him, and then the other is just, like, doesn't care. And so, and she is taking equal measures of revenge upon all of them because they are, in fact, inherently guilty of, like, you know, again, not to get too much into the, the theorizing and, and cultural context and everything, but they are perpetuating a system which mm-hmm. allows such injustices to occur and to go without prosecution. So she is not just taking it up against the person who attacked her, but also the people who made it possible for that to happen. Yeah, the system that makes it possible of just like sort of, honestly, it kind of feels weird to say, but just the bros before hoes policy. Yeah. Just that like her own boyfriend just like sided with his shitty hunting pals over her. That just tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. He is, um, you know, for a guy who's uh, cheating on his wife while he has children at home and she's trying to uh, make a first communion party for their child. You know, I just I don't want to say it, but like he doesn't seem like a great guy. <laughs> not, not, not the best. Despite all of that, you know, he ends up not being. Wouldn't invite person. him to the next party. No. Guys, I do have one. I have one last thing that I'm a a little uncomfortable with saying, but I I feel like I should say it because I'm wrestling with it a little bit. I I I messaged Brian about this very recently, and um, so this this film is distributed by Neon, which is the company, which, as far as I understand, is still uh, Tim League the. CEO of Draft House started with uh, someone else. And 
I, I don't know quite know what to say it. I'm not trying to make this, you know, self-righteous or, you know, check any boxes. I just wanted to admit that knowing that it did make me a little uncomfortable that, um, you know, this film, which is getting a lot of big notices, that is something um, that's kind of harder to talk about in the context of a lot of things. So I just wanted to mention it, see if you guys had any thoughts about it, whether it was something you considered or... Oh no, I, absolutely. It was it was kind of the whole reason I was skeptical of the movie itself in the first place because just the way that like Neon was sort of advertising it where they were they had this ad that they posted on Twitter, this little video of uh it was uh, instead of critic pull quotes, they got misogynistic YouTube comments from oh, like no. the trailer and posted them and like uh, basically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They cut them together with images of her like beating these men badly, and uh, sort of like, yeah, get it, girl power. But it's like, it just Ooh. felt like if if any company should not be doing that, Neon <laughs> is the one yeah. who should 100% be staying away from that kind of rah rah. Here's feminist rage, death to all men, huh? But like. That includes you, Tim League. I mean, it, I it, it, it was pretty uncomfortable as I was, like, walking into the theater. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's weird because, like, Neon just distributed this, right? Or were yeah, they, yeah. They yes. didn't seem to have a hand in the production of it, so that's why I tried to let it slide. But it was still just a thing in the back of my mind as yeah. I was thinking about I mean, it. It sure. bugged me, but it, I think it would bug me more if Neon was involved in the creation of it. They just picked it up, I think, out of Toronto where it played at Midnight Madness. Yeah, and then Shudder is the big – this seems like it could become a classic on Shudder, you know, if it's on that library for a long time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I – you know, Michael, when when you told me that, I was like, oh, God, maybe we should just not do it because I – I would say that Tim League is the Dimitri of this whole situation, <laughs> though at some point he actually yeah. became the Richard, too. So, yeah. like, at least two of these bros in this movie represent the guy who, you know, helped to found the distribution company that's putting it out. I am curious if he saw that in this movie um, when he decided to help it with distribution. So, yeah, I sure. mean, I had an issue with it. Um, in the way that I have you seemingly, uh, if you have any uh, cultural consciousness whatsoever, have to have a problem with everything. I was watching the sure. new, I was watching the new season of um, Arrested Development that came out today. Oh no! Sure. Which is just like fucking how... Tambor and Bateman. Jesus. Well, Bateman is Ugh. yeah. Bateman, I think would would be like you know if we're gonna start labeling people, I think he's like the uh, the Dimitri, the Richard, and Tambor. Sure. You know, is is a, a just like a fucking apparently a huge fucking asshole, um, and yeah. you know I was watching it, and I don't know it's it it's difficult to do, but at the same time, like you know, Manchester by the Sea is still one of my favorite movies of the decade, um, and you know just fucking I don't know. There's shitty people everywhere. I feel like for me. I'm never going to be happy about the fact that I could in any way be enriching Tim League, given his his uh, context actions with Devin Faraci and just like the legacy that they seem to have created at some of their 
sure. some of their uh, theater chains. Their, their were, theaters, yeah, for sure. Yeah, valued customers were valued over their employees. Um, you know, so I, I still won't go to one of his theaters. Um, but oh, no. unfortunately, I, you know, I feel I would feel bad punishing everyone who pulled together to create this movie just because they had the misfortune of Tim League making them the best offer. Yeah. yeah, they probably had, like, who knows if they had any idea of that stuff in the first place. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's like... Just, it's wrong. It's tough. I mean, yeah. Paddington was put out by the Weinstein Company. I mean... Not Paddington 2. No, Paddington 2 got out from under that. But, I mean, you know, every time I turn on Paddington for my daughter, I got to see that stupid W form itself. Oh, no. Yeah. And Man, that like, W oh. sucks. It was never a good logo. No, it, it feels... Uh, we don't have to get that into feels like a weird right thing now. To the Weinstein on. Company logo really was like it felt like the type of thing that you'd see on like a VHS in 1992 that you rented a blockbuster because you accidentally read the title wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, so who's ready to talk spoilers? All right, so spoilers for Revenge. Um, she kills them all. Yeah, just just rip that happened. bandaid off. I want to. This is another funny thing from the... I think this could become a reoccurring segment is IMDb user reviews. <laughs> oh, no. no. So many people were like, oh, my God, no one could survive being impaled like that. How is she walking across the desert for miles in the sun and barefoot? Oh, my God, everyone has so much blood. And it's just like, I feel like I don't know when it happened. But, like, there was a point when I, I just realized that this movie wasn't going to be anatomically correct with anything. And I just, like, accepted it. Like, was there a moment, did there have to be a moment for either of you where you felt like, okay, I just have to accept the unreality of this film? Or did it kind of draw you into that without you noticing? I'm not fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson, so I really don't care about this type of thing. <laughs> Even if the impalement hadn't killed her, she probably would have broken her back. See, the human body only contains five liters of such and such and so and so. But um, I think just like that impalement is like, there was something about that image that just like, I feel like it almost like it starts like on a really high, the violence starts at a really high bar. Yeah. And you think, well, how are they going to top something like that? Because Jesus Christ. And, and then... Finding- and then Anyways. she stabs a man twice in the face. <laughs> yeah. and, I, have to um, say- I have a thing about people getting stabbed in the face. I, <laughs> I, I don't know like, if I've ever brought this it, up like, on this a podcast lot of that, before. <laughs> a lot of that imagery is very purposeful because not nine times out of ten, a lot of the violence involves penetration. Yeah. Just like a lot of these oh, very yeah. like sharp phallic objects just like going like to town on these people and like it feels very purposeful that like you totally get that like no this isn't meant to be like a realistic down and grimy kind of thing it's meant to be this sort of uh like as i was mentioning earlier like just the way that we sort of see these kinds of like movies and narratives in our heads yeah i mean for me, I was I was I was almost concerned at first because <laughs> when she gets her first kill, first of all, she she escapes from the tree that she's impaled on by lighting it on fire, and I guess that weakens it. 
And does that for her. does that make any sense? Like no, I don't really care if it does. But <laughs> I wasn't. I, I I was two minds about it. First of all, so cool. <laughs> and then I was like, is she trying to cauterize the wound in her back so that she can snap it off and not have? Honestly, to worry about a part it? of me thought that she was trying to like kill herself at some point because just the pain was too much. I. Joan yeah. of Arcing. I don't know. It was so weird. But that's I, just I, my I brain like, being extremely set, morbid. Yeah. She's setting this bush on fire, and I was like, oh, that's smart. She's going to weaken the base so she can snap the thing off. And then she just kind of rolls off of it while it's still on fire. And I was like, well, I don't know what that was all about, but it's pretty awesome. But, but then her first murder is of Dimitri, the guy who just kind of was staring at her and then decided to go for a swim. The TV and washer. She, and she she stabs him in the eyes um and i was like oh is each guy gonna die in a way that's ironically tied to their crime against her and then it not really no for him like you could argue that but it just yeah. happened to be that way by happenstance but yeah I yeah think it was just like just... it's just a lot more penetration but just like in the eyes so i, I think so like the... yeah that that first uh set piece though of like her in the river just uh just having to like wade through it like you really get the sense that like the the wilderness plays such a big role in this movie because this movie like as we were mentioning earlier feels filthy it feels like 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 you were saying you want to take a shower after it but like i would be afraid that like a shower wouldn't cut it because it's like this i also really wanted the main character to take a shower (laughs) it's the dumbest thing but like i I, w- I really wanted just like a final frame of her clean again. The <laughs> dirt under her fingernails, you, you see. <laughs> so dirty and just covered in dirt and blood. And unclean, I was just like, unclean. I was just like, I don't, you know, murdering the people who tried to murder you and who raped you is one thing. But like, maybe you also just want to clean off. Maybe that will be the more satisfying experience because good Lord. I wanted yeah, her to like, jump in the pool at the end. I, she was I'm so just, close. <laughs> I'm just imagining like Paul Rudd and they came together talking about the desert in this movie going, it's like another character, you know? <laughs> it's like, so, because it really, it's like, it's not even just that, like a lot of the extreme temperature, the sweat, the sand, just the grime and the filth of it, that they're just like, all these people are being almost reduced to their most, their most primal base instincts. But just also that like, there are certain shots that really got to me, like that involve like sort of the wildlife. Like I'm a huge arachnophobe and that shot of uh, that guy just pissing on the spider. And it's just a close up of its legs just sort of spindling and like in like the weight of this piss. I've never seen a shot that gross. Yeah, that was an unpleasant thing to witness. (laughs) Yeah. We, we didn't even talk the, about the blood drowning the ants when she first ants. falls. <laughs> and the ants are crawling all over her. Yeah. And then, like, they crawled all over the apple, too. It's a good sound design touch, too, to have the, um, when the blood first falls. Yeah, it sounds like exactly like the gunshots later in the film. No, I mean, and it's funny because this is one of those movies that, like, like I keep saying, I don't want people to think that this isn't, you can't just switch your brain off and have, like, fun during this movie but i feel like there was a really hyper analytical part of my brain that was like 
oh, they kept cutting back to the apple that she'd bitten into and the ant crawling on that as it rotted. And now she, too, has been pierced in a way and is open to the elements and ants are crawling on her. Perhaps that's symbolic of the rot within herself now that she's... And then part of me is just like, it's just fucking creepy because there's an ant on her. <laughs> so I don't See, know if like, any of you like, had any opinions This movie has a lot about. of very striking images. I think the apple they could have done without... That's, yeah. what, that's a little bit pulling it to bi- biblical territory, which we at don't least it was a get. green apple. Mm. You know, I, I like how they self indulgently spin it right near the beginning, and then it goes into the party <laughs> montage. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, we need to talk about the peyote. Speaking of hallucinations, oh yeah, Chekhov's oh, peyote. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would, that was the one thing I was not <laughs> expecting because I want it to be that like she is strung out on peyote like the the majority of the film and unfortunately like not 100 percent correct but just for that scene specifically like i for some reason i get very squeamish about like drugs specifically drugs that make you numb so like mm-hmm. just like like her performance uh matilda Lutz's performance in the scene with just like the way her eyes just kind of like bulge as she's almost just watching herself like digging into her own guts and just not feeling a goddamn thing because she's just high as shit on this peyote like i i i was kind of i didn't know what to make of that at first it was um there was something about it that just like in in a weird way it felt almost like it as disgusting as it was it was in a way kind of beautiful where it's it's almost this thing that uh, a lot of victims just like sometimes feel where like you just kind of wish that you don't have to feel the pain anymore and yeah, she's and in this like, situation where she literally does not have to feel the pain and she can just work on fixing herself to the point that like it's scored to this really soft angelic music that just gave it this almost like serene beautiful quality even as she is just pulling her guts apart and trying to like solder the wounds back down and it was i i had no idea what to make of that but i thought it was really fascinating just the way that it sort of scored and directed that entire sequence it was kind of unbelievable to watch now, um, this is another place where my analytical mind kicked into overdrive. Oh, no, Brian. <laughs> and I was talk like, about that fucking angel. <laughs> no. First of all, the beer can tattoo that's a bird or something is just like... It's amazing. Dumb awesome. Yeah. No, I was going to say, this is probably the weirdest connection my mind has ever made. Because I really was just like way over analyzing this movie at certain points. I'm like, I wonder if this is a way to like get across the idea that psychedelics can be used as a means for people who are victims of tragedy to process that trauma. Hmm. I mean, because like psilocybin has been used in that way. You know, I don't know if peyote has, but you know, and then part of me was like, no, she just doesn't want to feel herself ripping this thing out of her stomach. (laughs) I had a, I had a weird journey with this movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, she she solders herself back together with that beer can and then suddenly has like perfectly fine stomach again. But now she's got a wicked awesome Phoenix tattoo that says Mexican beer, <laughs> which um, I was totally on board for. Another moment where I realized that this movie was like in no way hewing close to reality. It, it I, exists in this sort of fantasy mindset of 
like this almost like this physical representation of what is like no not like a psychological representation of what is going on in these characters heads as they're going through this bloody journey of revenge and like the fact that it doesn't adhere so much to reality was something that i found refreshing because Mm. like i cannot imagine like a realistic rape revenge movie being enjoyable to that yeah i think that a lot of my enjoyment in this movie comes from the fact that it's not like wallowing in the pain and the trauma and it's kind of like assuming I think that what it is is that it, it genuinely to, to enjoys being a trashy exploitation film yeah like there's just like mm. no bullshit pretensions behind it it's just that we really really like doing this stupid bullshit <laughs> like we really want to see how far we can push it and it does it has like an immense amount of fun like exploiting it on, on like the other side of like these men for instance mm-hmm. and i mean like you know we we've got guy gets stabbed in face and then we have other guy gets shot in face only after he has stepped on a piece of glass and given himself the most vaginal foot inner and injury that i've ever seen so that's the thing that i actually wanted to talk about because okay great um, because we were talking about how violent this movie is and like i didn't really feel like that squeamish throughout the movie except that time <laughs> but it's not just that i was squeamish and going ew gross it was also that it was also really funny it was just like it was like that was the point where I realized, no, this movie actually has, like, a really biting sense of humor. That sure. it can just laugh at just the fact that, like, he's just, he keeps opening this vaginal cut on his foot. And, like, it, it never stops. It just keeps fucking going. And he keeps going deeper and deeper. And you just keep thinking when it's going to fucking end. And, like, for some reason, just in our theater that I watched it in with Dan Schindel, we were just howling with laughter and i couldn't explain (laughs) why in a very adequate or reasonable fashion just that something about it was just like the way that they framed it was hysterical to me even as i was being super squeamish of it yeah i kind of thought that character was but i'm uncomfortable but i'm laughing (laughs) i kind of thought that character was really funny honestly like especially after when they first split up he gets that great line like i'm gonna stay here um, and then after, you know, they find the first body and he goes back to the car and starts punching the the, the roof of the car. Like, I found that scene a, a really funny. And there were a number of things just with the reactions of these characters, which, it, you know, it doesn't develop them as like sympathetic characters because they're not fucking sympathetic no. characters. Mm-hmm. But they're like but their behavior and their reactions were like enjoyable to watch but not necessarily in like a mustache twirling way like they're like relatively believable yeah because it's like when you think about it it's like he should have been the most menacing character he is Mm -hmm. the rapist in question and yet he is reduced throughout the film it like i almost feel guilty saying this he is cucked throughout the entire movie oh my god non-stop by Oof. like his alpha male buddy, his hunting buddy, yeah. by this lady who just won't stop, won't give up getting her revenge on him. He just keeps <laughs> getting fucking like bond- bondaged in- back to the wall, into the corner where he fucking belongs. 
And it's, just it's great because he emasculated like said, through and through. He should be the most menacing one. And yet when like this other guy comes home, when Richard comes home, Stan is sitting on the couch like a child <laughs> who like broke a window broke a vase. and is yeah. just like waiting for their parent to realize it. And then <sighs> and then like he's like, Oh my god, why did you kill her? I can't believe you just killed her. And then He's like, maybe we should go and help her. Like, oh my God, if she moved from the tree, it's not too late. We could take her to the hospital. And I'm like, what right do you have to be the guy who's the most concerned about this poor girl still being alive? Um, and I found that pretty interesting because like, yeah, I, I, you know, not having been the victim of sexual assault that goes to trial, I think is the best way to put that. Um, I, you know, some people say that like the victimization that you feel in the justice system far outstrips whatever you felt during the act itself. And so like it, it, it does say something to make him this dweeby, squirrely, weak willed, stupid asshole. And to make the golden haired Adonis like this callow hunter. I thought that was a very interesting turn. Yeah. 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 It's like throughout the entire movie, he just like, he did this rape as sort of an act of a, asserting his masculinity and he doesn't get what he asked for instead he has his masculinity whittled down to a fine pinprick point (laughs) over the course of the movie until it is just this hollow husk of what it once was and that was something that i just found unceasingly amusing for some sick weird reason but I even mean, like e- even as far as as dumb as he is, I was still going back to these people being smarter than they look. Like the fact that he makes a tourniquet out of his sock, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> like but, I, I can't imagine it was that effective. <laughs> but no. But hilariously, taking off that shoe allows him to get John McClane. Yep. <laughs> Very hard, John McClane. Which speaking of which, uh, I want to talk about that entire set piece of him in the car on that road. And she is just kind of very slowly hunting him because I think that was the moment when I realized that I was in the hands of a really skilled director because Mm -hmm. that river scene while neat, it was like, you know, it was very dimly lit and it was meant to be kind of a quicker thing, but that car scene, like it goes for a long while. It really takes its time pacing itself out and setting up like, not just like, the, the space of these different characters in relation to one another, but just also just like the tension of like who is hunting who. And like, even like just like as a straight edge, like genre work, it was like kind of thrilling to watch something that was advertised as being just like nonstop blood and guts really take its time to build up that blood and guts so that when it comes, it's even more satisfying. Like it, it lasts a really long time and it keeps going and like it keeps escalating in these weirder different places like you think that she's going to hunt him down and then he gets that thing stuck on his foot and it turns into some weird body horror comedy (laughs) and it it kept like elevating itself in like unique directions and i just thought like it was at that moment that i realized just how much care was was put into like the pacing of this film that i was not expecting one of my favorite things about The Americans, the television show that just had its series finale a couple days ago, is the amount of detail that it put in to showing the minutia of everything. Now, this movie obviously doesn't go to quite that extent, but it comes 
closer than a movie like this usually would. I think that like showing the amount of force of will that it takes to exact one's revenge upon certain people um, in this situation, like just the he he raises his rifle up to shoot her and is in great pain because he has been shot in the shoulder and you know she they really like linger on all of the pain and the, the violence inflicted on these people and it, it really like you like you were saying like it elevates everything that's going on and kind of like gives a lot more for a viewer to take in than your average your average film and i think that the end scene the final <laughs> set piece is like a perfect distillation of everything that is great and everything that is absurdly fun about this movie because mm. it it takes that same amount of time it uses some flashy direction but like never gets bogged in down its own in its way, own self yeah and then in addition to that you know it sets up great like spatial geography so that you know exactly what everyone is doing oh man just like you get that long tracking shot of him like scampering through all those yeah. different halls yeah like it real it that shot lasts a while it's a like, super long time yeah they go around then, that square for like literally five minutes <laughs> it is, i was about to say it, it's like something out of the Shining, American Psycho, and possibly an episode of Scooby Doo. A Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, <laughs> Benny Hill. I kept yeah. thinking about Benny Hill. <laughs> yeah, because you know they've got there's like the living room, and then there's the offshoot thing that kind of goes back into some other areas of the house, and they're just fucking they're running the circuit, and they're, he, they're literally just running in an endless circle, slipping on each other's blood. I've never seen anything like it. I was delighted by this scene. It was, I, cause like he gets shot and I'm like, oh, so he's just dead now, but he's not. <laughs> and then he's running and I'm like, at a certain point she's going to find him and he's just going to be dead, but he wasn't. And then he, he's like set an ambush for her and he is bleeding enough that the pool of blood oh travels two feet <laughs> to go in front of the door so she could see it. And then he's like, uh oh. I appear to have bled everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to wrap myself in saran wrap. Saran wrap. There, there is nothing better. Oh, than and also, by the way, he is totally nude. <laughs> That's, yeah, right. That's another reason I was thinking Patrick Bateman. If he just had on some trainers, he would have been full Patrick Bateman. Just like, I would just want him to, like, before he puts on the saran wrap, he just has a sock. Just a sock <laughs> to protect himself. And He's, like, and limped yeah, the whole she, time like, as well. <laughs> she, she trips drops her gun and there is so much blood on the floor that she <laughs> they're like both slip just and slipping and like just try it almost felt like a mud fight it was so bizarre oh, yeah. i've never seen anything like this sequence and not only that but it also just speaking of uh over the top imagery it it felt almost like vaginal like like a birth canal of some sort mm, yeah like when we're talking about rebirth and being reborn she is just like literally going through this fucking like vaginal cave of blood just nonstop in a circle like just it was kind of unbelievable i had i, I had a like, lot of perverse fun with it you're way. you're watching this movie and there's a point where you just realize like my god these people fucking made this like they all got in a room like i would assume six to eight people got in and a room and were like, like just got into a like a conference room going and then they go in a circle for five minutes 
And then she drops her gun, gets lost in the blood, and he's going to kill her, but she shoves her hand into his chest cavity and then shoots him dead and then walks outside and does not jump uh, in the pool. Penetrative kills. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that like his guts were going to spill out. I was waiting for that. But um the movie while very bloody is kind of light on like gore. No viscera is spilled. It reminds me of like Evil Dead 2. Like like that's the type of like uh I, I guess not quite as or chunky. Just like like a video <laughs> game. Just like all of these sure. dudes just like bleeding everywhere but like no sense of it being a real human body at all. Yeah. Gears of War. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> and, like, also, like, the entire time, like, this movie is, like, not scored, but, like, the diegetic sound is just that infotainment commercial just blaring <laughs> in the background. And that was the other thing that I wanted to talk about because I really wanted to talk about that TV because it's just them going in this fucking circle while, like, this infotainment is going on, just, like, this crass like merchandisement capitalism playing while these people are trying to murder each other and it just kind of reminds you that like this is entertainment like this is being like sold to us like mm. the the empowerment of women is itself like a commodity the way that like it's becoming a commodity now the way that it used to be that men abusing women was commodified by our culture that you would see commercials of like men hitting women, but in a funny way, quote unquote. And yeah. just like the way that it kind of just uses that fucking TV, just blaring and just talking about like jewelry or like whatever kitchen mm-hmm. appliance bullshit they're going on about while they're smothered in each other's blood was just kind of fascinating and was the one instance that I felt like it was actually going for something slightly deeper as far as like what this genre is trying to do in a sense. I love that also that her, her performance, correct me if I'm wrong after she gets thrown off the, I I keep wanting to say bridge. I think I'm just slowly the cliff. Yeah. Blacking out. Yeah. She's, she's on a cliff. Her performance becomes silent, right? Like I don't think, yeah, no, I believe so. Yeah. And, he does, you know, he gets like a villain moment where he's like, women never give up or never quit or let things go. And she's just like, all right, I'm just going to shove my hand into the giant gaping chest wound you have. She like, she, they never give you. her like the set, like a final line where it's just like, I guess you're going to get, I guess you're going to get blown now or some stupid <laughs> thing like that. Like, Time to give you another, bl- yeah, something dumb like that. Um, they they could have easily gone that route, and I mean, I still would have been fine with it because the movie is pretty ridiculous as is. But I was I about really to say, would we have liked would we have liked this more? <laughs> she was a little more sassy. The the lack of dialogue like sort of amplifies just the primal energy of this movie. Just yeah. that like it's these yeah. people just like grunting at each other for like ten minutes. Just grunts for like nonstop, and you don't hear a single line of dialogue for minutes at a time. Just these people <sighs> to their animal instincts. Uh. 
I, I'm not sure whether I'm right too about the the TV too, but I'm pretty sure the last image we see on the TV before she walks out is a wedding ring too, which I thought yeah. was a, a funny little <laughs> like that's when we finally see what they're selling and it happens to be a wedding ring. Just just that it was that I, I, I chuckled did, to myself I about that. that. But considering <laughs> this movie's sense of humor, it, I would totally expect that. Yeah, and I mean, I then, think. Yeah. What that is telling us is that, you know, this is a, a giant screed against pre and extramarital sex. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> that is it's, not it's one actually of the a very puritanical movie when you get right down to it. Like all yeah, horror I movies. mean, if this friggin' trollop hadn't been flaunting it all over the place, those three brave men would still be old. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> those heroes. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, that's, um, that's so obviously gross. that was a joke. I never used to feel like I had to <sighs> say that shit like that was a joke, but I have become super paranoid recently. And also, just because, like, you do not want those kinds of people to think, even by accidents, that you are in any way condoning their behavior. I am. That, I was actually about it, to say, in the I am. Exist. I am less <laughs> afraid of people being mad at me for a joke than people agreeing with me because of a joke like that it's like um, yeah fuck all women it's like, oh. just like wake up one day it's like oh i have twenty thousand followers now that's awesome and it's all a bunch of like incel neo-nazis it's and i'm all just like Pepe's. damn it non-stop <laughs> brian Pepe's i think it's been Pepe's. too long since we've said fuck nazis and fuck trump so fuck nazis and fuck trump <laughs> yeah i'm uh, i'm down to uh metaphorically fuck both of those people uh those groups of people I will say that Trump is a group. Sure. Why not? Um, I once again point out that I am living next to Washington, D.C. So uh, when the revolution comes, I will be able to join it fairly quickly. As long nice. as it's not a work day. I don't have any sick time. Um, <laughs> so um, I guess we can now talk about the final shot, at least. Or at least the fi- just the very last scene of her just standing at that pool. And not because jumping into it. I think, like, speaking on that idea of... Um, this is sort of like her her vengeance, like like rape revenge as a concept being a commercialized product, like like products like there is always um, like demand, basically. So as she's standing like like she's thinking it's over and then you hear like the sound of another helicopter coming into the desert and she just turns back to the camera, just basically telling us it's far from over because like it's not just, oh, you killed these shitty men but like when's the next shitty man gonna come and when's the next one it's just that it you realize that it's not quite just like these men but just this system that is going to continue to pervade even until after her own trauma like there's there is no sane world where she is going to be perfectly fine after that string of events instead is she's just going to like there's just going to be even more men that she has opened her eyes to and she will keep getting her revenge and that revenge will continue ad infinitum and we will all buy into it, you know? Yeah. I, this is perhaps I'm reading a bit too hard into it. That's the one instance where like, again, because I just really like that TV. I really (laughs) like it. I don't know why, but I am, but yeah, I would love a sequel to this movie. That is, purely like a courtroom drama (laughs) like a sequel that's like a true this is exactly what happens next i want it to begin with the helicopter guy showing up and going whoa well you look like you've got a little bit of blood on you (laughs) 
And then, like, her extradition and all the international laws and everything. And just, like, yeah, I think that would be super fun. We could make a, could make a TV series out of it. Like The Wire, examining it from all angles. <laughs> I, I think to... To Carol's point, I, I don't know if you are, or I don't necessarily think you are over-examining that end. Because I, I think, you know, as Brian, in fact, just said, yeah, we could have had, like, a funny reaction shot with the helicopter pilot. But the fact that it does end on such a sober note, um, I, in fact, I'm not even remembering music, diegetic music or otherwise in that last scene. Um, oh. and so it is It is yeah, kind of a reflective, it's a reflective moment as we hear the whir of the her- helicopter. So I, I think that there is definitely um, a just interpretation. And just like how so much of the movie is about this very, like, a gradual pace of things. Like, the helicopter comes in very gradually and slowly that, like, you sort of realize it's coming and until it's, like, almost too late. Yeah. Just, just it capitalizes on that tension like, like it does the rest of the movie. I, I, well, at this point, you know, she could, she could take to the desert and probably be fine. Oh yeah, she's a desert bitch now. She's she's fucking what she's she is one of the Vuvalini. That is what she is. Yeah, she's a first gen v- v- Vuvalini. Yeah, first gen millennial Vuvalinis. <laughs> she is the original uh, Bad Batch person. Uh, it's funny because I hate Bad Batch oh. so much, but this movie kept reminding me of it, and I really think it's just because. It was a girl in like very short shorts, if anything at all, in the desert, suffering. Bad, the Bad Batch starts so promisingly, and then it gets yeah. so bad so quickly. <laughs> it's weird because like <sighs> I would have been interested in watching uh, uh, that director's uh, prior film because I've actually not seen either of her films, and that would have been an interesting comparison point. Considering like a girl walks home alone at night is just. A title rife with like the implica- implication of what men do to women at that time of the day. So yeah, there's like it's it's a it's a statement on our culture that there's no way that that's a happy beginning to a story. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Not quite. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything, anything else that I wanted to specifically talk oh. about in this movie. Um, again, shout out to the blood department. You guys, <laughs> yep. super awesome work. One of, I think the shot, the ending shot for me might've been blunted a little bit just because they showed a final shot of the living room and somehow there it. was even more blood than I thought that there was. <laughs> Did you it think was it was just, clean before? <laughs> I thought that like his it's like was like it's like when you look at a couch and it they just say that used to be white. Yeah, because you know he gets shot. He goes behind the couch and then obviously they're running and then he's bleeding and then he's putting his his saran wrap on, trying to keep fresh. Um, but like when he's done, well, when he's done, when he is dead and she's walking out, it looks like a a a a, a, a water gun. <laughs> fucking fight with blood happened in there everyone in this is like suffering from like an excess of blood and it's um it's awesome and if that you know if that's the kind of thing you're into the director smeared the walls by hand did she yep she said that in an interview (laughs) awesome that's metal as shit just all of a sudden you see the fucking elevator doors for the overlook hotel (laughs) just manifest in that room yeah but just if you need a little bit more 
They 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 open up and then the blood that's in the elevator is like oh, oh it's too crowded here we have to go to the next floor. <laughs> There's already too much blood on this floor. To end on a, a on a serious note, um, Boo. not a serious. <laughs> okay. Let's Jeez. talk about blood. I somewhere. feel like unfortunately with this movie you kind of need to end on a serious note or they'll think yeah revenge have a fun time no I would love it if it was revenge with an exclamation point <laughs> if that was the title of the movie oh as as two people though who have had uh, contentious or like you know bad relationships with rape revenge in the, in the past. Um, I'm just curious if this film, like, changed your opinion of, uh, on it. I know, Carol, at the beginning specifically, you said you you weren't sure that it completely, uh, even with all, with the way that this film ends, that it, you know, completely justifies rape or if there's any scenario where it's justified. And I know, Brian, you've said similar things. So I'm just wondering if your, uh, either of your opinion on, like, that general concept has changed or altered after this film. I know for me personally, my, my relationship with any genre is you've got to make it worthwhile. Um, so like a, any con man story, like I'm fine with the guy being in debt cause he's a gambler, you know, I'm fine with him being retired, but getting pulled in for one last score by the guy that he mentored, you know, those are like hoary old cliches, but I'm usually not there for the why I'm there for the what and I feel like rape revenge is so, so specific that it's impossible for there ever to be a different why. Um, sure. I think in this case, the why is done well enough and the what is fucking awesome. And so it's a little easier to get through. But like, I'm never going to say that like no one can ever create a good or meaningful rape revenge thriller. Sure. That's um, a weird sentence, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally closed my eyes and shook my eyes when I finished saying that. But like, mm. I don't see a lot of reason for it. I would love it if sure. like we could give a woman a John Wick type of thing where like someone, you know, kills her dog and she just goes on a murder spree. But like, you know, rape revenge is super specific and I think that it only works every so often because someone has to be able to either say something or do something different. And this movie just happens to hit both of those. I don't, I'm never going to turn my back on a genre, but like I was shocked that this, this is, this movie will not make me more excited for the next one. No, no, I think sure. No. Another weird but, sentence. <laughs> yeah. But it does let me know that there is some vitality left in the genre, but like, you know, okay. don't take that future filmmakers as a, a gold stamp from me saying you should do it. <coughs> so uh, like I began like very skeptical and as much as I very much enjoyed this movie strictly on a formal primal kind of level, I'm still a little bit skeptical of, like, the use because, like, for as much fun as this movie is, just the fact that we feel weird about calling this movie fun is almost, like, that kind of says everything in a way. Just that, like, because when I think about how much fun I would have showing this movie to someone else, my problem is that, like, I would not want to sit through that rape scene again. Like, I would not want to, like sort of squirm through that again. Like, when I see that scene, it sort of reminds me of an instance when 
I, I was assaulted once. And all it does is just kind of like, all it does for a viewer specifically is that when they're trying to have fun, they are just, they just kind of flash back, like it just go back into their trauma. And that's something like a responsibility that like you kind of need to think about, like if you just want to make like a really fun movie, like why couldn't this just be a movie where she just kills a bunch of guys and there's like literally no reason for it other than she just wants to kill a bunch of guys. That would honestly like, I would have enjoyed, I would have had more fun with that movie. And I guess like, that's not what Coralie Far- Fargeet was going for, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it just sort of makes me think about, so like, what are the ways that I could like fully enjoy this, like without any reservations, without having to go back to that moment that happened in my life in my head again because it already happens like many instances in my life. And the thing is, is that it's not like that means it's like an unworthy movie because for example, I personally think, uh, L the Paul Verhoeven film we were mentioning earlier is one of the best films about surviving assault or rape, probably because it is kind of unflinching and it kind of knows how to like Paul Verhoeven himself is just kind of a master of blending that exploitation with very real um, subject matter that is almost sure. like kind of hard to yeah. really like make kind of fun. And he just knows how to toe that line in a way that like gives you sort of like a tonal whiplash for sure, but that's kind of intended. And he plays off of that through like a performer like Isabel Huppert. And as much as I enjoyed a lot of the direction in this film, I would not say that it toes that line in like an interesting or a meaningful way, the way that I'd say that Verhoeven ironically kind of does with L because it is just a very straight up kind of no holds barred, like rape revenge kind of plot. So you just kind of really wind up like thinking like, well, what is the point of including a rape in this in the first place? If you're going to just make this a really fun action movie in the end so it's like i don't know like i'm still kind of struggling and wrestling with it because in a way like a lot of like the movie what the movie does well a lot of its strengths is the way that it plays on these kind of gender like imbalances the way that it focuses on gays and entitlement and sexual dynamics like that is the movie's strength that it does so well would it be able to do that like without a rape scene that like she manages to just sort of push this man off with even just the threat of rape enough, like who even knows? And we can never really say for ourselves because we are not the filmmakers. We don't really know exactly what Coralie Fargeet was trying to do, like in her own head specifically. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying like, as like a victim myself, it just makes me feel I enjoyed this a lot. I just don't know how much I can like, like like there's there will always be that caveat there that will sort of keep it like it like in this arm's length where like as soon as i put this movie on again i'm going to be thrust back into that moment so it's it's a little bit it's a little hard so like it's something that you have to really think about like because obviously it's subjective like if what's fine for me will be different for another victim like for say someone else will watch this movie and maybe be horribly offended. I don't sure. fucking know, but it, it's just something that there are no real definitive answers to, I guess. It's just like, 
the fact that it treats it with as much care as it does is in its own way a weird kind of mini miracle. It's just the matter of like, what is the point of even including it in the first place that we have to start thinking even more of just like the point of conception itself. Like the problem is that I'm, I'm a screenwriter now and I, I recently wrote a script that does have a rape scene in it. And like, I did try to do something that really explored it in a different context as far as who actually has the control here, who has the consent. But I knew that like, as soon as I put that on the page that I was like inviting those feelings onto people Mm. and you have to really think about why do I want to invite those feelings onto the viewer? Like what is the purpose of it? And thankfully what this movie does is that it knows how to sort of go through these um, sort of dynamics in a very realistic and like for as absurd as this movie is, the actual gender dynamics of it are very authentic but it's just a matter of like what what it like what is the true purpose like if you're going to wind up using those dynamics that are otherwise really well done for the sake of what is otherwise just a really fun bloody romp which like you know you could take or leave so shrug your shoulders i guess <laughs> oh, i don't fucking know no i i appreciate that Perfect. i that was it. I'm sorry, guys. That was podcast. that was an incredibly broad question to both of you, and both of you answered it really well. I was just, I was especially curious, you know, no, coming like, from like, you too. It's not even that it's a broad question. It's that like that question kind of needs to be broad for the sake of that discourse. Like you do not want to go into that subject matter lightly. Absolutely, you do not. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the it's like end the of amount the... of factors that have to go into it because it pinpoints so many different things of our culture so yeah that's my two cents (laughs) all right well that is the end of this podcast for today that is the end of our review of revenge it's going to be streaming it's going to be streaming on shutter in the fall currently it is in theaters and available in amazon and itunes so uh you have a lot of options and opportunities to check it out um i wish i could have seen it in theaters i will say that that oh, would have been in the theater. It's very fun. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would have been driven insane. From the and like like um, I think I kind of lucked out because I saw it in a theater, but I didn't see it in a midnight crowd. I don't know how okay. I feel about like a New Beverly style midnight crowd with this. Having movie. especially, I went to Midnight Madness in Toronto when I went there, and like those people are fucking ready and <laughs> raring to like make some noise in a movie. Oh boy! And I just. I almost wish I could have seen this there, but like maybe just like a 10 minute YouTube compilation of reactions. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, are you sure that wasn't their ad campaign? <laughs> no, their ad campaign was a bunch of misogynistic YouTube comments. Oh, God. <laughs> Same yeah. thing. Um, so, Michael, <laughs> speaking of uh, ad campaigns, wh- which would you prefer the misogynistic YouTube comments cut to pictures of a woman performing violence on men or people drinking bourbon and Pepto-Bismol? Mm. Mm. You know, but bourbon and Perhaps the one that better. wouldn't actually do real damage to someone's <laughs> stomach. Maybe that. Just maybe. Well, we, maybe. We can survive one misogynistic comment in our lives. Maybe. I think that we could probably all survive Ooh. at least one whiskey and Pepto Bismol, too. I mean, I intend I, I, to find out. I watched that movie last night. Holy shit. <laughs> Good movie. Uh, if you're uh, interested, we're talking about First Reformed, and we recorded a podcast on it last week. 
Check cool. Something out. for me to listen to um, later. <laughs> this is the end of this episode. Once again, go to patreon.com slash show and give us your money. Also, don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day they introduce a new film and you have 30 days to watch uh, films coming to Mubi include Gamora, Following, Blue is the Warmest Color, and Weekend. So make sure to go and check those out. Uh, you can watch them on your smartphone if you're a monster. You can watch them on your smart TV, <laughs> your PC. You can download them watch them on the go. And <coughs> I've been talking too much today, apparently. Um, and you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. All right. Let us tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time or... Uh, yeah, I guess whatever, whenever, whenever we have you back on again, Carol. So why don't you tell the people at home where you could be found on the internet? Well, I can be found uh, on Twitter mainly at Carol Avery Grant. That's C A R O L A V E R Y Grant. I assume most of you know how to spell Grant. Hopefully, and I also have like a very quick uh, WordPress Carol. Uh, oh. Actually, I got it wrong. Holy shit. It's been such a long time since I've gone <laughs> on that WordPress account. I'll get to that later. But while I stall, I will say that I previously had a podcast called the Cineffect Podcast. And that was at cineffect.wordpress.com. The problem is that um, that podcast, unfortunately, doesn't exist anymore. We had some financial setbacks that affected our um, the, the weight, uh, our hosting of it on Libsyn. So... We did, thankfully, though, if you go on cineffect.wordpress.com, that's C-I-N-E-F-F-E-C-T dot wordpress.com, I have put up a link that has the archive.org, well, archive of all of the episodes that we were able to archive. So you can listen to those old episodes of, of us and my friend Alex Clark talking about movies and video games and TV shows and anime and the whatnot. And uh, I had previously, like, written for Movie Mezzanine, Waypoint. I'm currently doing screenwriting. And I guess that's it. I was not able to find that, that WordPress, unfortunately. So I guess I'll get back to you while you, Michael Snyder, <laughs> tell us where you're at. I was about to say, if you're a Twitter follower of ours and you can find Carol's WordPress. <laughs> I need to take better care of this thing. <laughs> Oh man, I think I still have a WordPress. I haven't been on it in years, though. Um, I, I'm on Twitter at, at Snydell. Uh, Letterbox is just under my name. Um, also, please don't drink whiskey or, or bourbon and uh, Pepto Bismol because of Brian, and then get mad at us. Please don't do that. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I also write things apparently uh, occasionally at various places. Uh, and yeah, I'm on this podcast, so you can listen to me here. Oh, and I'll be on another, uh, you know what? I'm going to mention that on the next podcast. No worries. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I don't know why every time I think of Pepto-Bismol, I think of that 30 Rock episode where she's like, Peppy Bismilk? What is this? <laughs> so I found my WordPress. And is it, it Peppy is... Bismilk? <laughs> I wish. Um, my WordPress is itsmecarol.wordpress.com. And uh, if you go there, there, I just have like a couple of links to some old scripts that I wrote that I realize will never fully get made made. And you could read those if you want, if you're that kind of person. And it also has my 
contact info if you want to contact me for like other like specific reasons i guess that's it all right um as for myself uh, i of course can be found on the filmstage.com writing and also of course that's where all these episodes are posted in junk uh, my Twitter, at Brian J. Rowan, my personal site, dearfilm.net. Uh, I'm starting to post pictures and shit on Instagram more, and I'm about to go to the beach. So if you want to see some cool pictures of a beach, find me on Instagram, at Brian J. Rowan, because uh, I am deeply, deeply uncreative with my screen names. And uh, that's, uh, that's it. Um, no idea when the next episode's coming out. No idea what it's on. Hereditary, maybe? Probably, maybe, if I can see it. <laughs> gonna be in north carolina i don't want to i don't want to slam our brother to the south north carolina but uh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to see it there you sunscreen brand <laughs> i'm uh i'm very much enjoying the concept of my latest bout with sunburn <laughs> so i don't know if michael it's not using sunscreen it's using enough of it often i just like i just shouldn't use the fucking <laughs> anyway um no one needs to hear about how bad my iris skin reacts to the sun on the beach so I'm going to get the hell out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Bye.